0: Welcome to the Tingo Investing Podcast, where we teach you how to make a better investment and retirement portfolio. Our goal is to explain everything from basic to advanced concepts in plain language that you can understand, whether you are a beginning investor or a professional. Welcome to the Amped Up Basics Part 2. This is the second episode in a series I call How to Create a Better Investment and Retirement Portfolio. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the basics of mutual funds, index funds, and ETFs, then amp them up. We're going to talk about not only what they are, but also what we can expect from them and how they work. Now, if you don't know what any of them are, that's perfectly fine and awesome, because we're going to go through each of them one by one and describe them. So let's jump right into it. Now, most of us have heard of mutual funds, index funds, and ETFs, especially from financial advisors or articles we read. But when we tell a friend we're going to start investing or trading, they'll tell us a ton of stock tips, but very rarely do they tell us their favorite mutual fund. It's just not as sexy to say, oh my gosh, you got to invest in the Fidelity low Price stock fund, it's so good. But these can be sexy, and we'll get into that now. So in the past episode, we mentioned stocks and bonds. Well, a mutual fund, index fund, and ETF is when we decide to give our money to another company and they buy stocks and or bonds for us. Many other people do this too, So we, as a group of individuals, pool money together and give it to a company. This is the core essence of what a mutual fund, index fund, and ETF are. It's what they have in common. We as individuals pool our money together, give it to a company so they can buy stocks and bonds on our behalf. Now, investing together with other people has advantages. For example, remember how I said in the past episode, bonds require a lot of money to buy and sell? Well, individually, we may not have enough money, but when we pool it with others, suddenly we can own a ton of bonds or an entire portfolio of just bonds. So the question you may be wondering is, well, what makes a mutual fund, index fund, and ETF different from each other? And the answer is, what makes them different is their structure and also what these companies decide to do with our money once we give it to them. So to begin, let's discuss what a mutual fund company does after we give them our money. So the company we give money to for a mutual fund, hires people called portfolio managers. They decide what to buy and sell for us on our behalf. This allows us to take a more laid-back approach to investing. Now, remember how we talked about a benefit of pooling our money together, how we can do things like buy bonds we may not be able to individually purchase because of capital requirements? Well, another benefit should be that when we all pull our money together, we can pay to hire somebody who is very, very talented. In this case, the company we give money to evaluates portfolio managers and hires them. Now, notice how I said this should be the case, that portfolio portfolio managers we hire should be very talented. Many people consider this line of thinking very optimistic, and a lot of data agrees with them, but we'll get to that in a few moments. So because nothing is free, the mutual fund company asks for a fee for managing our money and providing this service Of investing for us. The fee structure for a mutual fund can be a bit complicated, so we're gonna break it down. So when you're looking up a mutual fund, you may see a page related to expenses. Now a good site for this is morningstar.com. That's m-o-r-n-i-n-g star-star.com. So you will see something called when you go to a mutual when you go to Morningstar or a similar site, you'll see a page dedicated to expenses and you will see something called an expense ratio or a net expense ratio. This is the total all-inclusive fee that the management company takes out of your investment. Now, typically this is anywhere from 0.1% all the way to 2.5% or 3%. So this is an all-inclusive fee that the management company takes out of your investment. Now, they don't charge you this money upfront. They don't do it initially. What they do is, is that they take this fee and they break it up for each day of the year and they apply it daily. So what I mean by this is, let's say a mutual fund charges you 1% of the money you give them. They take that 1%, they divide it by approximately 365 and they apply that throughout the year. So on a day-by-day basis, you're, you may not be aware. Now, this is what the net expense ratio is. But what is it made of? A net expense ratio is just one number and there are different types of fees. Well, the net expense ratio includes the management fee, which is what you pay the very talented portfolio manager, or should be very talented. Then it also consists of the administrative fee for running the business, and then a marketing fee, so the fund can market their products. Now you may be wondering why you're paying for a company to market, and this depends on your view of the company. Yes, it's true, some mutual fund companies may try to take advantage, but in order for this mutual fund company to exist and provide you the service, they do have to market and gain revenue. Now, before we move on to the next type of fee, let's talk about the management fee that's included in the expense ratio. Remember how I mentioned the expense ratio includes the management fee, the administrative fee, and the marketing fee? Well, when people first discover the management fee, sometimes they get a little bit uneasy, and here's the reason why. So a mutual fund manager typically gets paid between 0.2% to 1%, more or less, of the money they manage. Now, in a small mutual fund, like $100 million, which is considered small, the manager can take home $1 million and pay a year, and that's 1%. On $500 million, they may take home $5 million a year. Now, you may think this number is outrageous, but here's the logic behind it, and here's what fund managers argue. Now, what if that fund manager, who you're paying 1%, can actually return you 5% more than you could? So you're giving up 1% to pay him. Isn't that, worth, isn't that worth it because you come away 4% richer? He gives you a 5% better return than you could get yourself. You pay him 1%, so you still walk away 4% richer. And that's the justification for this fee. Now, a lot of people and a lot of research suggests that typically a fund manager isn't worth their fees and that they don't make up for the 1% that they charge. This means they actually perform worse, but we'll come to that in a moment. Okay, so now let's move on to the next type of fee. And this is something that really bothers me. It's the sales fee related to a mutual fund. And the reason this bothers me is that I've seen it happen to a lot of friends. And the sales fee is sometimes structured in a way that's sort of complicated to understand. Now, you'll see throughout my podcast that I very rarely get vocal about opinions. I'll try to always remain sort of a balanced perspective, give two sides. But this is something I have very difficult time doing when it comes to sales fee for mutual funds. So when you see a sales fee at a mutual fund, it will not say sales fee. It will be called a load. Funds that do not charge a sales fee are called no-load funds. Those that do charge a sales fee are called load funds, and the fee is called a load fee. There are a few types of load fees. The front load fee is charged at the onset of a fund. So if you buy a mutual fund, they take away something like 5% immediately from the money you invested. So for every $100, they'll take $5 out. A mutual fund isn't allowed to charge a front load fee greater than 8.5% according to regulations. Now, a back end load means you pay the fee when you exit the mutual fund. There's often a variation of this, which means you pay the load fee throughout the five or six years. Now, some people argue that if you buy a no-load fund, the fee is still there, but it's put in the expense ratio we talked about. They argue that when you take out the load, the fee, the expense ratio is higher to make up for it. Well, in my experiences, the funds that charge load fees are the ones that are being pushed by individuals belonging to a financial advisor company that only pushes their own products. On top of this, the load fees tend to be drastically high. Because often the load is designed to get you to pay more, they'll sometimes be a little bit more complex to understand, or it may be buried in the fine print. Now, to me, this is a very deceptive tactic that I've seen in the industry, and it really upsets me. Like I said, I try to remain balanced, but on this topic, I will express my opinion loud and clear. There are thousands of very reputable mutual funds that offer no load funds. There are no sales fees. In fact, I would argue some of the most reputable and top mutual funds do not charge a load fee. Okay, let's move on from this topic because it's going to really frustrate me and I may have to practice my soothing meditative breathing. Actually, okay, I'm back. So you're probably thinking, ah, Rishi, so many fees, what do they all mean? Well, in essence, the fee means this. It all boils down to this. Since you are giving your hard-earned money to, for somebody else to manage and they're collecting a fee, you better make sure it's worth it. You better make sure that you paying them that fee is absolutely worth it, that they are returning you more money than the cost of that fee. And so with that, we're going to talk about how we can make sure our investment is worth it. So, so far, we've discussed what a mutual fund is, how they work, and what their fees are. And now we're going to measure to see how they're useful, how to make sure that it's worth the fees we're paying. After all, we're trying to get our money's worth. But before we can talk about measuring performance, we need to discuss index funds so what are index funds and why do we need to discuss them well just to recap we pull our money together and with other investors to give it to companies so they can buy stocks and bonds on our behalf this is what mutual funds index funds and etfs have in common and because these companies charge fees for this convenience we want to make sure we're getting what we paid for and that is stellar amazing performance I mean, after all, if the manager is going to be paid millions of dollars, we want to we want to walk away knowing we're better off, too. And how do we measure that? How do we know we're better off with this uh, portfolio manager at a mutual fund? Well, if we buy a mutual fund that's supposed to pick the best large companies, what's a fair way to measure the portfolio manager? We could say, well, the fund we invested in made 10% this year. The portfolio manager made us 10% this year. So they must be awesome. But wait, what if the S&P 500, a stock index that we mentioned in the previous episode that tracks big companies, was up 30%? So what if the stock market was up 30% but our portfolio manager made 10%? This doesn't feel as good, does it? And so the way we track the performance of mutual funds is by comparing them to a stock index. So if we invest in a mutual fund that says, I will only invest in large companies, and I'm going to be awesome at it. We compare the mutual fund's performance to an index measuring big companies. in this case, it would be the S&P 500. If we invest in a mutual fund that says, I will be the best stock picker of smaller companies, we may compare them to the Russell 2000, a stock index that represents small and medium-sized companies. Now, what if I told you study after study after study has shown that mutual fund managers perform worse than the stock index. Studies show that anywhere from 70 to 90% of all mutual fund managers perform worse than the stock index once you take into account their fees. And so you may be thinking, well, Rishi, I bet if we find one mutual fund manager who does really well, they'll continue to do well. Well, another study showed that if you took 3,000 mutual funds, invested in the top 25% of them, you invest in the top performers, only two or three would stay in the top 25% after four, after five years. So this is why mutual funds get so much flack. And as we discussed, it's okay if a mutual fund collects high fees as long as you're better off more than you could be without the fund. But studies show this is very much not the case. Now, the truth is, is that there are some stellar, stellar mutual funds out there there are some people who are so brilliant and put so much work into it and their process of investing is very good. The issue isn't that they don't exist, the issue is that they're very hard to predict and find. There are people out there whose sole job it is to find the top mutual funds and invest in them. And then there are others who invest in a very there are other mutual fund managers who invest in a very concentrated portfolio of stocks. Instead of holding 500 stocks like the S&P 500, they may hold 20 or 30. So The argument that people make against mutual funds isn't that there aren't any good ones out there, the argument is that they are incredibly hard to find and spending all that time finding it may not be worth your time because in the end, we may not even be able to predict if they can maintain that performance. So the vast majority of the time, a lot of research shows that you're better off holding the actual stock index. Even Warren Buffett, who many consider the best stock picker and company picker of all time, has said to put your money in index funds, and to quote from one of his letters, it reads, My advice to the trustee couldn't be more simple. Put 10% of the cash in short-term government bonds and 90% in a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. I suggest vanguards. I believe the trust's long-term results from this policy will be superior to those attained by most investors whether pension funds, institutions, or individuals who employ high-fee managers. Before I continue, I want to urge individuals who just heard this quote not to immediately put 90% of their money in in a stock index fund. Uh, We're going to discuss why in the next episode, and there's specific reasons Warren Buffett advocates this, um, and so if you follow his advice without knowing the context of it, it can be very dangerous. Anyway, now that we've set up the stage for mutual funds, let's actually talk about what they are. Throughout all of this discussion about mutual funds and comparing their performance to an index, you may have thought, well, it's all good and well to compare a mutual fund manager to an index, but what difference does it make? A stock index is just a statistical measurement. You can't invest in a statistical measurement. Well, turns out this is where index funds come into play. Let's start with the story of John Bogle. He was one of the first individuals to study mutual funds back when he was a senior at Princeton. When he was studying them, he realized realized in the 1950s that they were no better than index funds. In 1974, a few papers had come out suggesting the same thing. And in 74, Bogle started the Vanguard Group. And in 1975, he formed the first index fund. Now, an index fund works by buying all the stocks that make up an index in their right proportions. For example, an S&P 500 index fund would buy all 500 stocks in equal proportion, They may use other instruments too, but that's a more advanced topic we'll get into later, maybe in a future episode. But just know, an index fund tracks the index, like the S&P 500 for example, and it does so very, very closely by replicating what's in the index. Anyway, back to Bogle. So when Bogle started this index fund, people thought he was crazy and nuts for creating a product that would return, quote, just average returns. Well, Bogle turned out to be one of the last ones laughing, as we can see from the Warren Buffett quote, where Warren Buffett actually recommends Vanguard Group. But it's a pretty good motivational story, given Warren Buffett's recommendation, also the fact that the Vanguard Group now manages $3 trillion. So what actually makes an index fund an index fund, besides the fact that it tracks the performance of a stock index? Well, an index fund should have no load or no sales fee. On top of that, the expense ratio is very, very low. For example, according to the Vanguard Group, the industry average expense ratio is around 1.1%. The average fund offered by Vanguard has an expense ratio of 0.2%. This is a 0.9% difference. And the reason index funds are so much cheaper is that their management fee is much, much smaller. They may also eliminate things like marketing fees and keep their administrative fees very low. But by not having to pay for that quote, very talented stellar portfolio manager, unquote, they can actually save a lot of money on the management fee. And as we just discussed, in this case, according to Vanguard, it's a 0.9% savings. And over time, this can add up to quite a bit. So just to put things in perspective, let's say you had $10,000 and we're just choosing $10,000 because it's a very simple number to deal with. You can actually invest if you have uh, less than that. But let's say you had $10,000 and you want to put into a standard mutual fund, a standard mutual fund that invests in large companies. So let's say you put $10,000 in that mutual fund and it has the average fee of 1.1%. And let's say you took that other $10,000 and put it in an S&P 500 index fund. And let's say it takes the Vanguard average of 0.2%. Well, after 10 years, you would save $1,500 with the index fund. That's approximately a 15% savings under your initial $10,000. And this is why people advocate index funds so much. So this is the story behind index funds. And now we've discussed mutual funds, index funds, and compared their performances and how to compare their performance. Let's move on to ETFs. ETFs are an abbreviation for an exchange-traded fund, ETF. Now you can think of an ETF... As a hybrid of a mutual fund index fund and stock all in one now before we get into the etf structure let's talk about how we buy a mutual fund or index fund so let's say you've now figured out which mutual fund or index fund you're going to buy when you place an order it is executed the same day or the next depending on your broker and what time but it is not executed immediately however when you buy or sell a stock you see the price on the screen and as soon as you buy or sell the stock you get the price or a price very close to that, and it happens instantly. Now, this is not the case with a mutual fund or index fund. With a mutual fund or index fund, you don't know what price you get until the end of the day or the next day. This is because the value, or net asset value, abbreviated NAV, is calculated at the end of the day. The cash value of stocks being held to recreate the S&P 500 in, let's say, an S&P 500 index fund is called the NAF. So if you took all the assets it takes, all the stocks, all the 500 stocks it takes to replicate the S&P 500, and you took the value of those stocks, that would represent the NAF. Now, remember, an S&P 500 index fund buys the underlying stocks, and those stocks are worth something, which is how you get the net asset value. So this sounds so complicated. Wouldn't it be awesome if buying a mutual fund or index fund was like buying a stock? Well, that's where ETFs come in. An ETF is a vehicle that mixes a stock structure with the concept of a mutual fund or index fund. So you are pooling your money together with other investors when you buy an ETF. But the ETF trades on an exchange like a stock. That's why it gets the name exchange-traded fund. I know this is a bit weird, but think of it this way. Instead of getting a price at the end of the day, like when you buy a mutual fund or index fund, The price of the ETF is continually changing throughout the day, just like a stock. Now, there is a a sort of a thing with ETF index funds their fees are cheap. I mean, very cheap. Not only are there many thousands of different ETFs out there, allowing you to easily diversify, they're also very easy to trade. It's like trading a stock. And on top of that, they're so much cheaper. Let's take, for example, Vanguard, and I'm not being paid by Vanguard here. They're just the pioneers in the industry, and it happens to be one of the most popular um, ETFs and index funds. So the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, the standard or the investor class, has an expense ratio of 0.17%. What about the equivalent ETF? That's 0.05%. Now, because ETFs trade like stocks, you're going to have to pay a commission just like you pay a commission to trade a stock. And that commission should be as much as it costs to trade a stock. So let's go ahead and wrap things up with ETFs. So we've discussed what they are, how they're different, how they sort of trade like stocks do. But let's just touch upon the idea, the fact that their fees are so much lower. I mean, you're looking at in the index fund which already has a low expense ratio of 0.17% and now you have an ETF that can charge even less 0.05% and the reason for that is because there are a lot of costs associated for a mutual fund to deal with buying and selling of their product but when something is on an exchange the fees are much lower and they can pass those savings on to you and since ETFs have proliferated and just increased so much in popularity there's a lot of competition and a lot of, and that has created fees becoming smaller and smaller. So it works to our benefit. And with that, let's go ahead and close up here with all the stuff we've discussed. Now, we've covered a lot of the basics here on the Amped Up Basics. We've gone from everything from stocks to bonds, to stock indices, to mutual funds, index funds, ETFs. Now, while we've talked a lot about the mutual fund, index funds, and ETFs, they were all in the context of large companies. So a lot of the funds we talked about, like the index funds were to replicate the S&P 500. But I wanna point out, there are so many different types of mutual funds, index funds, and ETFs, and they all focus on different things, or many of them focus on different things. For example, you have some that focus solely on the US market, while you have others that focus on international equities or equities or international stocks. And then you have some that are specific to regions like Europe or South America. And not only that, within countries you'll have things like big companies, focus on small companies, or medium companies. And the universe of ETFs and funds is so massive, it includes so many different things. But we're going to get into the major ones in the next episode. And not only that, in the next episode we're going to show you how to put it all together to create a basic investment or retirement portfolio. This isn't so bad, is it? I mean, in a little over an hour, you'll be able to put together a basic portfolio. Cool, right? Anyway, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to this uh, two-part series of the Amped Up Basics just as much as I have had creating them. Now, if you have any feedback, email me at rishi at tingo That's R-I-S-H-I at T-I-I-N-G-O dot com. And the next episode, we're going to get really down and dirty, so get ready. It's going to be so much fun.